Welcome to an episode of Crippled by Culture, where we talk about everything in life and relate it to the disability and chronically ill community. My name is Sean Gold, and I'm an author, advocate, and nonverbal public speaker for the disability community. To provide a quick visual description for accessibility, I'm a Black man with a white tracheostomy breathing tube in my neck. I'm wearing a black shirt. Next to me is the voice you hear speaking for me. This video is of a Zoom call with me and the person talking for me in one box, and my guest is in another box below it. Today, I would like to thank Adam Ross for being my voice in this episode. In this episode, we are talking about the intersections of disability and communicating better with able-bodied people. Before we get any further into the interview, I want to give a shout out to our partnering nonprofit festival for the series, Festability. As a board member, I helped put together a wonderful event in St. Louis at the Missouri History Museum. We had so many activities and vendors set up all over with an amazing headliner for our main stage. Getting to do this event was a dream come true. It is the best event in St. Louis to celebrate your disability unapologetically. Make sure you come out later this year. More information will be available soon. Thank you Festability for sponsoring the series. Now, back to the show. Now, let's get to today's amazing guest. Cherith Jones is a 38-year-old born in Arlington, Texas, raised in Odessa, Texas, born with spina bifida, used crutches and braces as a child, but now is a full-time wheelchair user. She has associate's degrees in general studies and interpreter training and a bachelor's in psychology. Cherith is a full-time intern at nonprofit that helps human trafficking survivors. Cherith lives alone, drives independently, and pastor's daughter. Hi. Cherith, thank you for being here today. How are you doing? And would I'm you good. mind giving a visual description of yourself, please? Uh, sure. Um, hi, thank you for having me. Um, I am a Caucasian female with about jaw length curly hair and a kind of a red pink top with like a black lace thing right in the middle. With that. Oh, excuse me. So um, also I have brown eyes. I appreciate that. Not a problem. But that was first, first. Do you identify with having a disability or chronic illness? Yes. Do you mind sharing what disabilities or chronic illnesses you have? So I have spina bifida. Um, it's a birth defect, uh, essentially. Um, it's it's a gene that the mother carries. So uh, basically, what it means is that when I was forming in the womb. Um, my spine didn't fuse correctly um, towards, mine's towards the bottom um, and it left like a lesion um, or a hole. And so that affected um, my development um, 
it affected my ability to walk. Um, and it, it spine bifida affects people differently. And there's no two cases are the same. It just depends on where the lesion is along your spine and how severe it is, how open it, the, the wound is um, when you're born. Some people, uh, a friend didn't even know he had it until he was in like junior high. So, um, but for me, I have no feeling from the waist down. I have some movement in my legs, but not enough, obviously, to walk. Um, so, I, like I said, I did use crutches and braces as a child, but then once those got, because they were up to, you know, <laughs> way up, they're heavy and clunky, and I, when I was little, like, I could hold them up, but then as I got bigger and older, I had to hold them up, and it was just really difficult, so I just said, you know what, so full-time wheelchair user. How old were you when you got diagnosed? Um, right at birth. I mean, I came out and immediately the doctors knew. I was born in 1984 and immediately the doctors knew because there was like a hole in my back <laughs> in my spine. So from from the get-go. Do you feel like there are other things going on that you feel are not diagnosed? I, well, <laughs> I have diagnosed depression and um, anxiety. Well, no, undiagnosed depression. I have diagnosed anxiety and I'm pretty sure I'm ADHD <laughs> just you just know you know um give, just what I've read about it and those kinds of things um I also have hydrocephalus and that is connected to the spina bifida that is um basically where the fluid builds up and you need a shot to drain the fluid that's building up um mine's in my head so that is a co um whatever um with spina bifida for a lot a lot of people not every, not all I don't think but a lot of people with spina bifida have hydrocephalus as well so how are you dealing with the depression um and, and again I haven't been formally diagnosed with depression but you know when you spend your days you know not getting out of bed you kind of you know um I'm doing okay with it now. Um, I think seasonal depression is a thing uh, where as it gets colder and it gets darker sooner, that kind of affects your mood. So I just have to be careful um, about isolating. I think that's the biggest thing when you're dealing with mental illness or any illness really, but especially mental illness, you, you, you tend to want to isolate because you don't want to bother people, you know, and you don't want to be the the one that drags them down or, or whatever it is. And so we tend to isolate, but that's, you know, you've got to reach out to people. You need somebody. I was in a really, really bad place last year. And it wasn't until my dad surprised visited me um, where, cause I was living in Colleen at the time, about six hours away. Um, and, you know, just things were not going well. And I just got depressed, really depressed. And I just stopped doing anything, <laughs> going out, getting out of bed, like, we just stopped and it wasn't until my dad surprised to visit me because he knew I'd just um, been passed over for a job opportunity and my dad wanted to cheer me up and stuff. So he came and saw how I was really doing. <laughs> and um, so we talked and we talked, we cried, we cleaned <laughs> and um, started talking to a counselor, um, a church counselor and um just he would just call and we would talk and kind of help me figure out practical steps to combat that. Um, cause he said, you know, 
sometimes you have to do your way into feeling better, behave your way into feeling better, you know, as you start doing little things day by day, getting out of bed, you know, making the bed, you know, small things, then that creates that cycle. So I just have to keep doing things to, to stay out of that hole and, and reaching out as I need to. Does TikTok help with the depression? I think so to me, because I, you know, I've been on TikTok for, well, I started last April was when I made my first TikTok, um, the first of April of last year. And it's, I think it does help, um, but it also can contribute if you're not careful. It's one of those in moderation things. And um, sometimes I get too into TikTok and, you know, and, and do that isolating thing that, that becomes a detriment to my mental health. But the good thing about TikTok is it does connect people and it does bring people together. And it, it's, it is helpful to scroll through videos and see that there are people that are going through the same things as you are and are having similar experiences. And maybe they found ways to combat that. And so it, it, it can be a double-edged sword, I think. How's the counseling going? Is it helping? Oh, and I love your videos. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, the, I actually had been to counseling in a while and I need to find uh, someone in town, um, but I've been doing pretty well and it, it, it was helpful. Um, I started counseling with my, with the church counselor when I lived in Killeen and then I ended up moving like a month later. So um, just a few sessions, but it was really good. He, he gave me the tools and tools, uh, some practical action steps and a couple books to read um, to kind of help help things. So it's been helpful. And, and I, you know, I was, I've been in counseling before. I was in counseling when I started having panic attacks back. Um, my mother was diagnosed with uh, cancer in 2013. And then I started my first year as a teacher in 2014. And then I think I had my first panic attack. I believe it was, it was I know it was spring break. So I believe it was spring break of 15 because it was the 14, 15 school year. And that was my first panic attack and I didn't know what was going on. I thought I was dying. And so that's when I first got into counseling. And it really, it helps because you get those thoughts. So many times the thoughts in our mind, once we get them out and we speak them, they lose their power because in their mind, it, they're so big and then you get them out especially when you reach out to someone like I said you, you see that number one you're not the only one number two you're not crazy <laughs> um, and this is normal and it is okay to feel however you feel um, but also sometimes we need hope figuring out how to deal with it and so I think counseling is I think everybody should be in counseling personally I know a counseling app I used if you want it. What, which is it? Um, BetterHelp? Pride Counseling. Is it called BetterHelp? It's called Pride Counseling. Pri oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I'll have to look into that for sure. Insurance company isn't an option, but they offer scholarships. Oh, interesting. Okay. Also, I will look into that. Thank you. 
yeah, I, I've been, like I said, I've been in counseling before and um, I've been kind of looking, um, not, not seriously looking, because um, I've been doing pretty well recently. So once I got this new job, I started a new job in March and moved. Um, not to my, not to where I grew up, but just the next town over. And so, um, since then I've been doing pretty well for the most part. Um, I just, I know it's, like I said, it's kind of getting towards the holidays and, um, that seasonal depression can kick in. So I kind of want to nip it in the bud. <laughs> so, but thank you. Yes, I will look into that for sure. My therapist was also disabled. Really? That's interesting. Um, I don't live, you know, I, I, I know telehealth is a thing and online counseling is so huge. Um, and I, I, might, I need to try it, but I, I was always just going to the office, you know, and we don't have a very large disabled community where I live. And so, um, yeah, I've never, I've always had an able-bodied counselor, which I mean, either either way. I don't know. It would be nice to have a counselor that's disabled, but for me, it's not a necessity, you know? Me either. I didn't expect it. Really? That's interesting. Did you have to go through your own internalized ableism? Mm, tell me more. What, what do you mean by that? Like, did you hate your disability or ever wished you weren't disabled? Um, for the most part, no, I've done pretty well. But I mean, as you live life and as you grow up and, and being someone born with a disability, yeah, I, I think for me, it, it was situational. Um, just in, as a general rule, no, I've been pretty comfortable and confident in myself you know, as it, it, it is what it is, um, and I don't really worry about it most of the time, um, unless it's kind of put in my face in a situation where I'm with my friends, and um, especially growing up, like, at church camp, uh, I went a few times, and there were just activities that I physically could not do, and so in those times, that's where you get frustrated, and you wish, I wish I was, I could walk, um, and for me, the, the big thing for me with my disability is, is trusting that people are genuine when they, in, in a friendship, you know what I mean? Are they genuinely my friend or, or are they just being nice? That's kind of always the overthinking thought um, in, my, in my brain, or it can be. Uh, some people, it's easy to tell. Um, but some people, you're kind of like, you just kind of wonder, like, okay, are they genuinely, like, or are they just being nice? You know what I mean? So those are the things that I kind of struggle with throughout my journey, um, throughout my life. And, you know, it gets, it gets, you know, for me, I can, I'm good about feeling it and, and having emotions about it and crying about it or whatever I need to do, writing you know, journal, whatever it is that I do to cope with that in the moment. And then I can let that go, you know, because it's, it's, it's a bad moment. It's not a bad life. It's the situation is frustrating, but overall I'm, I'm still a capable person. Like I still am able to do things. 
I agree. I believe I can tell much better now. Yeah. And, and you learn that skill as you get older, you know, as you mature and, and you go through experiences um, and people <laughs> and you kind of notice those patterns. I think there's patterns of patterns of behavior that you go, okay, this one is, you know, like I have a, a coworker and I call him my work best friend, but he's, he's really one of, one of my best friends at this point because he's just a, a genuine person. I mean, sometimes we, we both have similar personalities. He's kind of ADHD like I am, or he is ADHD like I am, and we both get super hangry. You know, if you don't feed us, we're going to be cranky. That's just how that's going to go. And so we have grace for each other in those times where he's like, biting my head off and I'm like, did you eat today? And he's like, no. So we do it that way, but we're able to have that kind of honest dynamic where he may be a jerk sometimes, but at least he's honest about it. You know what I mean? And so it's almost like, you know, you'd almost, you almost kind of would prefer to have the friends that you, know, you want, you want friends that are honest with you, you know, that don't care if you're, I don't care if you're disabled, you're being a jerk right now. And I'm going to tell you about it, you know? So yeah, I can definitely tell much better now. Like, this one will last three months or versus, you know, the lifelong. Right. Yeah. This is a seasonal person. This is a lifelong person. It's like, I don't know if you've ever um, seen any, like, the Medea movies, the Tyler Perry. Um, and there's actually a play. It's on, it's a, the clip is on YouTube um, where <clears throat> Medea is talking about friendships and she puts everybody in the category of a tree and you know there's people some people are like leaves you know the wind blows over here the wind blows this way they're over here and then you know seasons change and they fall and they're done and they're gone you know um <clears throat> the branches are a little bit difficult to tell because they're you know they, they're part of the tree and they're they can be strong and things like that um but you put enough pressure on it and it snaps still you know, but if you have two or three roots at the bottom of the tree that are underground, that that those that's what nourishes the tree, and they're not going anywhere. Those are your your people, like your lifelong people. Hang on to those people, you know. And the other thing she said was, you know, don't get mad at them for you know for at the leaves and the branches, but that's who they are. That's what that friendship that that relationship was. You know, you learned from it, and so it wasn't it wasn't a waste. You know, even the, the, the leave friends, it's not a waste. You always learn something from other people. I love those movies and that clip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I found that clip right after I was going through a breakup about 10, 12 years ago. What do you think you've learned that stays with you on a daily basis from the disability community or a specific disabled person? Thing that sticks with me, um, <clears throat> I think something that sticks with me from the disabled community, um, not necessarily a person, but just as a disabled person and um, interactions I've had with the disabled, um, as we're just people, you know, we, we, we whether we drive, whatever our life looks like, we're just people and um, we're not, 
we're all trying to live our life, you know, and, and we may do it in a different way, but we're still doing it, you know, and, and that's not a better or worse thing, you know, my life looks like my life, your life looks like your life, and we, we, we all just live, and so trying to, you know, because people, society, I guess, culture, you know, they tend to a lot of times put people with disabilities on a pedestal and oh, you're so inspirational. No, I'm just me, you know, like, and, and to me, it's like, okay, why am I an inspiration? Like you're an inspiration because um, you're funny and because you are positive. Thank you. I appreciate that. But you're not an inspiration because, you know, I went to Walmart today, you know what I mean? Like, cause I got out of the house. That's not, that's just living my life. That's I'm hungry. I need to get food. <laughs> it's dehumanizing. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, and, and I think that's where this communication comes in, you know, it, you know, as a disabled community and then the non-disabled community, I mean, there's, let's say for lack of a better term, good and bad people in all, groups in in all cultures in all communities you know you have good representation and bad representation you know um and i think but i think sometimes able-bodied people they come off negatively when that's not the intent um but the problem is one of the problems is that there's this communication um deficit where breakdown if you will where is disabled people as a disabled community we sometimes um get offended too easily right um i was in a, a i was somewhere a few years ago and this was a, uh, somebody said hey can i get the door for you i was like sure thanks like i appreciated that and they were like well they were like oh thank you for being nice, they said, I tried to open the door for somebody, a disabled person one time, and they like yelled at me for asking to open the door. Those kinds of things where that's not called, that's, that's unnecessary, you know, I'm, I get it, you're independent and that's fine, but don't be a jerk about it, right? Communicate, like, hey, th like if someone is coming, you know, like if somebody's wanting to open the door for you or wanting to push you, like, no, I got it, you know? And on the flip side, able-bodied people ask before you just start doing stuff, right? Don't assume that that's a whole, all of it can be summed up as don't assume anything. Have, have a conversation. Like when your kids that are able-bodied are, you know, staring at the girl in the wheelchair in the mall, like maybe they have a question. Like let them ask questions about things. Like, mommy, why does she, like answer the questions and let them talk to us, you know what I mean? Open that communication and, and be able to talk. And, and able-bodied people, like, I, sometimes they don't ask questions and they stare or whatever because they may have been put down by someone with a disability before and now they don't feel comfortable asking those questions, you know, because you don't want to be offensive or whatever. But you've got to have that communication. Otherwise, we're always going to be looked at differently you know because there's it's a lack of understanding and if you want to understand you have to communicate you know 
I don't know if you saw my video a few months back, but I talked about it and I basically said, by telling kids to look away, you create the, the continuous pattern of segregation based on ability. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like the more <clears throat> able-bodied people um, interact with the disabled community and the more the disabled community allows able-bodied people to feel welcome in, in our circles, the, the more that integration is going to happen. You know, you, you have to, and that's, and, and I think both parties are guilty. You know, I think, like I said, there's give and take on both sides to where, you know, the able-bodied community, um, they, we, we wish that they would understand or try to understand better, but maybe they had a bad experience with a disabled person and they don't feel comfortable or their parents or the upbringing or whoever, you know, told them don't say anything, don't look, you know, don't look, you know, or they had a bad experience with someone in, in, with a disability. And so that, for whatever reason, there's that fear of, I don't want to offend them, right? It, it may be, they're trying to come from a good place, but they just don't know how to navigate that. And so, yeah, I, I think we need to come together and have conversations and do life together. The more we do life together, you know, yeah. The better <laughs> yeah, but we still have seg segregation in schools. Yeah, well, yeah, and that's the other thing, too. We do, um, I mean, there's schools, because I, I uh, was a teacher <clears throat> for several years and in the public education system, and my school, the school, my, my first school um, had an elevator, two-story, but it had an elevator, so it was relatively accessible. Um, then uh, I was an itinerant deaf, I, my background is deaf education is my, uh, what I was teaching. And when I was a classroom teacher, I was in a building that had an elevator, so it was fine. Um, but sometimes the elevator would break down, right? Um, and sometimes, like in my last mm, teaching job before last, I was an itinerant, so I traveled to different campuses. And some of the campuses were really, really old. And as you know, I'm sure the older buildings, they, they don't have the accessibility that they need to. Because the, the laws, the ADA is, there needs to be some uh, more structure to the ADA, to the, the ADA, in my opinion. Um, I think it's too loosely defined and people, a lot of establishments just out in the world, they just, they don't, they do the bare minimum, basically. I mean, I was at a hotel in, in Lubbock several years ago, and it was the handicapped accessible room, and it was, they didn't even have a shower chair in the bathroom, like, really? And the counters were too high. It's just, you know, and even my apartment, you know, this apartment I have right now is great. Um, it's it's a one bedroom, one bath, and it's super accessible. I have all the counters are low, um, all of that, but like the uh, the microwave is, was still above the oven, <laughs> you know. So it's, it's like it's like okay, you're almost there. You're so close. In a lot of places, they're so close. But and and again, it goes back to communication. If architects and people that are building these buildings would have conversations 
with the disabled community and make the buildings accessible to begin with, then we would all have accessibility anyways, right? So, yeah. We need an amendment. Uh, yeah. 30 plus year law only does so little and it can easily be outlawed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we need an amendment and we need clear guidelines on, you know, because they're like bathroom stalls. There may be one, one bathroom stall. Some places have two where it's maybe a little bit long, a little bit longer than the rest of them. But I still can't fit my chair in there and close the door and maneuver like I need to, <laughs> you know. Now, your involvement in the disability community, what kind of advocacy work do you do, if any? Um, I don't do any advocacy work per se, but I mean, just in my day-to-day -day life, you know, people see me and, and I'm always, hey, can I ask this question? Yeah, of course you can ask me. I'm an open book with my disability. Like, like people, can I ask you this question? Is this, a, this might be a weird question, but can I ask it? Like, yeah, ask the question. I mean, I've had people ask me some weird questions, but you don't know, you don't know. <laughs> and the more you know, the, the better it is. I grew up, I didn't grow up in the disabled community because uh, we don't really have one in my area. You know, I'm not from a big metropolitan area, I'm not in West Texas. And we just don't have a large disabled community. Um, and so my... The extent of my interaction with the disabled community at large was growing up was like summer camp. Um, I went to, there's a spina bifida camp that I went to. There's a camp called Camp Extreme. It's in Houston. Uh, spina bifida camp is in Dallas area. Camp Extreme is by Houston. Um, it's a, a camp for people with spinal cord injuries and spina bifida as well. And then I went to uh, Texas Lions Camp and there's Lions Camps all over. Uh, I went to Texas Lions Camp in Kerrville, and then there was a camp in Missouri called Camp Barnabas, and it was a Christian camp for people with all kinds of disabilities, uh, physical, mental, all of that. So that was where I really got my exposure to the disabled community, um, and, and and so I grew up in, a, in an able-bodied world for the most part, quite honestly, but I'm able to have those conversations with people um, because my thing is, you can ask me anything. It's it's how you ask that question. How are you phrasing that, right? Um, so I, I always try to be an open book to people. And I try to make people comfortable with my disability. Um, I make jokes. I joke about myself all the time, <laughs> you know. And I'm, sometimes I make jokes and they're like, really? I'm like, yeah, I said it. You know what? <laughs> uh, so try to break the ice if some people might be nervous or whatever. What do you think is the disconnect between the non-disabled and disabled community? Uh, I think it's a... I think it's fear. Fear on the level that... Um, on one hand, you have the disabled community who has come into contact with able-bodied individuals that have been 
awful, you know, that have maybe said the wrong thing or done the wrong thing, but done it maliciously, um, have been maliciously awful, right? And so then the disabled community becomes hesitant to interact with the able-bodied community. The able-bodied community may have tried to interact with the disabled community in some way on some level or a person or a group or whatever, um, but they got their head bit off or something, you know, they got, they, um, maybe they did and unintentionally say something or, you know, and, but instead of educating and having a conversation, it goes back to communication, they get, the able-bodied community got snapped at, you know, and shunned and weird, that was awful and da, 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 da. So then, no, they're not going to interact. You're not, they're not going to want to have a conversation and interact with the disabled community, you know? I think people, again, if people start having conversations and, and instead of getting angry at the other side for not understanding or not knowing or saying the wrong thing or asking the wrong thing, whatever it is, educate, you know, talk it, talk it out, figure it out, <laughs> you know, and I think that's, that's the bottom line is if you've got to, you know, have the courage to ask the questions and have the interactions um, and also have some grace and both be willing to communicate and work through those things. It happened this summer with Lizzo and Beyonce. I didn't see that. I didn't hear about that. Oh, the lyric controversy? Oh, no, I didn't hear about that. I'm super out of touch. <laughs> yeah, they used what's apparently an ableist word in the UK, but for the Black community, it's just our own language. Oh, oops. No, I didn't hear about that. And that's what I'm saying, too. Like, what is offensive to one culture may not be offensive to another culture or community, right? And so someone may say something or use a phrase or a word or whatever it is not with not intending to be offensive and not knowing that whatever they said was offensive or did was offensive. So that's when that community, instead of ripping their head off, say, oh, hey, this is actually offensive because yada, yada, yada. It was ridiculous. Yeah. And that's, and that's, that's the thing too. People get so offended so easy. And I'm like, calm down. Like, <laughs> it's not that deep. I promise it's not. And people, like I said, I make jokes about myself all of the time. Like to the point where my friends are like, did you just say that? I'm like, yeah, I did. Because it's funny. <laughs> you see my TikToks. Like, it's in my head. It's probably going to come out of my mouth. That's just the way I'm wired. You know, we've got to get comfortable. We've got to relax. Like, that's the thing. Relax. You know, don't get so bad out of shape about stuff so easily. And don't be afraid to say something. You know, you don't, if, because if you, you're, you're not learning, you're not trying. At least if you say something wrong or you do something wrong, at least you're trying and you're learning, you know? If it's not the R word, I don't see the problem. 
especially right. as an yeah, especially as an author, I know words have multiple meanings. Right, and that's the thing. I actually, <laughs> I was at uh, Camp Barnabas up in Missouri, and it's a, it's a, like I said, it's a Christian camp, and it's it's a ministry in that, um, like I said, they take uh, students, campers that are physically disabled as well as those with um, mental mental illness and and cognitive delays and things like that that a lot of the camps won't take because they see it as um, when they're at camp for that week, it gives their caretakers a break, you know, which we all need a break, right? Um, but we were at dinner and we were having a conversation um, and I think it was the uh, the camp manager, whoever was sitting next to me and we were having a conversation, I don't remember what it was about, but one of the other people at the table used the word handicapped. And I don't really get banana shape about that particular word. Um, now I'm a little, I get, a, I cringe when I hear people use the word crippled, but that's a different story. But handicapped, I don't mind as much personally. Um, but the camp manager who's not disabled spoke up and said, hey, don't use that because it comes from handicap and, you know, beggars and the whole thing. So he was saying, don't use that. And that, while I appreciated that he was, standing up for me or whatever or educating that person like he didn't we didn't have that he and I didn't have that conversation he didn't know if that offended me or not you know what I mean like I think and, and this is another thing point to bring up too is if you're going to advocate for a community that you yourself are not a part of that's fine but are you doing it for that community or that person, or are you doing it for you, right? And if you're coming in guns blazing to support this community, like, but you have yet to have conversations and interactions and genuine friendships and relationships with members of that community, and you haven't had conversations about what it is that community actually needs and wants, and you just come in and start spouting off with the mouth and assuming you know what they want, what they need, you've missed the entire point of being an advocate for a group or a, a person, you know? Well, this show is called Crippled by Culture, so my bad. I find <laughs> crippled funny. Yeah, no, and and that's, and, and in that context, I don't mind it at all because it, it's, it's a fun, it's, it's the title. Like, that's what I'm saying. It's not, I don't find that offensive. It's just if, you know, someone's preaching or something. I actually uh, teased the pastor of my old church. Um, he, he was, and he was reading scripture and it was, it was just in the, in the Bible and it's talking about the crippled man that um, his friends lifted him up onto the roof and, or, and lowered him down to see Jesus. Um, but he kept using it. So I gave him a hard time about it. And he's like, it's in the Bible. I'm like, I know it's fine, <laughs> but just. And you just don't hear that word very much anymore, um, unless it's somebody who's maybe um, older, you know, and that's just their way that they grew up kind of deal. Um, but yeah, no, you're fine. Have you or anyone you know been infantilized or fetishized due to their disability? 
No, I've, I've heard of that. Um, I've heard of that, but I'm, I myself have never experienced that. Um, I mean, I've, I haven't really been in that many relationships, um, but we, you, that was never a thing, you know, but I have heard of it, though. But I'm like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> what do you think are some basic accessible accommodations that you think everyone should provide that's really simple, but don't? Um, ramps everywhere. Like, I, if there's, if there's a step or a flight of stairs, have a ramp, have an elevator, period. Like, and then there's places that don't. I mean, um, there, my office building where I work right now, um, there's a ramp on the side of that building that I work on, but there's not a ramp to like the front office side of the of the building. So things like that, where it's put, I mean, why, how, how is it difficult to pour some concrete at an angle, <laughs> you know, or make sure your ramps are not broken and janky, like make sure that they're in good condition, keep them in good condition, maybe put some rails on it, that kind of thing. Um, bathrooms, just make them longer and make them wider. Like make it a like a small room, you know. That's not that hard. Things like that. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Uh, yeah, the ramps in the in the bathrooms. I think is a big thing for me that I've run into that, and um, just in older buildings, you know. And if it's an older building, they should have to update. Like, <laughs> why do you think people haven't? It's, it depends on the person, I think, but some, 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 I think, just don't think about it. It's not in their face. It's not right there. They don't know anybody that's disabled or whatever, so they genuinely just haven't thought about it. Um, or they're, it's too expensive and they are greedy or they're just lazy. You know, I mean, it's any number of reasons, um, but I don't think they're all malicious. I think sometimes they just don't think about it because they don't see it. One word, laziness. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and it's, it's not that hard um, to include everybody. And that's, and, and when you put a ramp in, don't put it on the other side, like, here's the entrance, here's the steps. The ramp should be right there, like right there. That's the thing that irks me too, is why, and like I said, it's that separation. It's that segregating where if this is right here, this able-bodied thing is right here, the, the, the accommodation should be right there, you know? Or built in, like you could, there was a place I saw that the ramp was kind of built in to the steps, which I thought was cool. How, how has your online presence helped well it's interesting because i mean you know i got on tiktok like i said last march i had just moved and was living by myself so i you know um kind of got into it and i just started making videos and didn't really wasn't really sure where it was going what i was going to do with it but um it's been helpful i think to 
to have conversations, whether I'm stitching a video, duetting a video, or I'm just saying, hey, <laughs> you know, today in the adventures of being in a wheelchair, this was the interaction. Here's what to do, what not to do. Like it's opened up those conversations and made people think. Because um, again, if they don't have any experience with people that with a disability, they don't know what they don't know, and that's not their fault. Um, so it's kind of helped to educate people about disabilities, kind of the do's and don'ts, and you know what not to do, and 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 it brings humor. Like and that's the thing. It my my goal is to educate people, yes, um, but also let's all relax and have some fun with it too. You know, let's make a joke, right? And I was so surprised that I could gain fast on TikTok. I wasn't going to use it professionally, but I gained thousands of followers in one video and I immediately rebranded it from personal to advocacy and yeah. selling my books. Like, how do you do that? I still can't do that. Like, I still don't get like thousands of views on one video. <laughs> like, what's the secret to that? You know? It's so random, girl. Their algorithm is one to study. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's weird. And because the videos, and that's the thing, the, the videos you think aren't going to do well, that you really didn't spend any time or plan out or anything, they're just off the cuff. They're the ones that do really great. And the ones that you like planned and, you know, did all the transitions and all the stuff with it, they're, they like flop and you're going, oh, okay, well, Guess I won't put any effort, not, not that you won't put any effort into it, but you know what I mean. Just <laughs> make the content that you want to make, you know? And then you'll find the people that you, you know, that you want on your page for the most part. How has your content evolved over the years? It's only been just over a year, coming up on two years in March, goodness, um, or in April, sorry. Um... I don't, I don't know that, I mean, got a better camera for one thing, um, <laughs> but also, um, I don't know. I think I, I do, I still kind of do random things. I don't really have a specific niche, niche, whatever, um, but I think I'm more comfortable, you know, and uh, I'm more purposeful with what I, for the most part, um, with the videos that I put up. Um, and because I do do a lot of the wheelchair content, the funny wheelchair content, that's my main thing. Um, and then I'll do a just a one-off here and there that's just funny in general or, or serious. You know, like if it's, you know, Domestic Violence Awareness Month or whatever, I'll put out something for that to acknowledge those kinds of things, which I think is important. Um, so I, th I think my content is maybe a bit more focused than I was at the beginning, because at the beginning, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just, <laughs> you know. Okay, a little context for everyone watching. This is pre-recorded months in advance. So when this is out, it will be a year for her. Gotcha. How do you plan on evolving your content, uh, your content in the new year? Uh, I don't know. That's something to think about. Um, I mean, I don't 
know that I'm necessarily trying to get TikTok famous or whatever, um, but if I can use it, like I said, just to continue to educate people um, in in a in a fun kind of way, I think that's the goal: is to educate people about about not only just the disabled community, just about other things, you know, um, spreading awareness about domestic violence or um, suicide or, or what depression, whatever it is. Um, so I think just continuing to, to educate and to make people aware and make you laugh, you know, like, like I would say, don't put things in face holes when you're watching my content. That's, that's not going to go well for you. What tips do you have for making your content accessible for everybody, uh, especially for non-disabled creators? Um, if you don't have automatic captions, put the captions on, <laughs> you know. Um, I think put the captions on um, and maybe like being a bit more descriptive in, in your videos might be helpful. Um, things like that to provide accessibility. And it's um, maybe a little bit harder to talk about accessibility when it's online, you know, it's through a screen on a phone or whatever. But yeah, um, being a bit more descriptive, captions, um, things like that. I know there's a creator that is blind and she has... Um, her, when she does live, she does her makeup um, on live, and she has her voice, it talks to her, it tells her what the comments are. So that's pretty cool. Because I know your phone, like the iPhones, have a lot of accessibility options. Have you researched domestic violence and how that affects disabled people? Um, a little bit. Um, you know, just growing up, like I said, going to camps um, where there were other disabled people, I saw uh, my friends that had spina bifida and whatever and were disabled being in these relationships that were so toxic, like so, so toxic. And I'm like, why are you with that person? They are awful. <laughs> this is a terrible, maybe they weren't hitting them or whatever, but the way that they spoke to them or whatever, I'm like, why? Honey, well, I don't want to be alone. I don't want to. What do you mean you don't want to be alone? Like that's be girl, <laughs> be alone. You know, like be comfortable with yourself. And yeah, I think I don't know if it's necessarily higher, but I think I would imagine that the instance of domestic violence and abuse in the disabled community would be a bit higher because, and I think the reason for that is because as a disabled person, you're just and especially, when, and I don't know if, as a as, as a female, I don't know um, how it is on you know for for guys, but for for me, for me as as a woman, I I think that we are more emotional creatures, and we kind of we want that connection, you know, and so we're just desperate for that connection, for that um, emotional attachment, that kind of thing, and so. We get to a point, especially if we don't have good self-esteem, good self-worth, and, and work on ourselves and, and know who we are and how great we are as a person, as a single person, that's when you tend to get into just looking for something, looking for love, you know, or love or whatever. And they're promising you these things. And the thing about it is, is 
these people that are the perpetrators that are that are domestic violence that are abusers um the manipulation is so good they're so good at manipulating and it's so subtle it's it's like i said i work for an organization that helps victims of or survivors of, of human trafficking and most people that have been trafficked do not well a lot of people that have been trafficked do not even self-identify as being trafficked because a lot of times the manipulation is such and the the, the abuser has broken them down so much and made them believe that they chose this life you know and so it's almost it's not like in the movies where they're so grateful that you've rescued them, um, they were kidnapped and all this kind of stuff. No, most of the time it was someone that they knew, you know, a family member, a friend, a boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever that trafficked them, but manipulated it in a way that, well, I've taken such good, good care of you. I'm going to let you pull your weight or, you know, things like that. So it's a manipulation thing where, you know, you, no one else is ever going to love you. Um, you can't make it on your own. You can't find anybody else like me. You, you'll never survive on your own. You need me, da, 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 da. That kind of manipulation and, and breaking down of people's spirit is what keeps people in that cycle. That's why it's an average of, what, seven times, I think, before someone leaves their abuser for good. It's about the same when people leave human trafficking or escape or whatever that looks like. So it's a manipulation. Abusive relationships are a mental trap. Yeah, for sure. And that's and that's the thing. It's 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 the mind, you know, because the physical you can see, but the mind you you can't see unless you say something, you know, and speak it out loud. Nobody's gonna know because nobody's a mind reader. And they rarely do any studies on male victims of anything due to stigma. Exactly, exactly that, um, and that right there, that's, it's this societal mindset that men, only men are perpetrators, you know, only men are the, are, are the abusers, um, and men can never be abused or not ever abused, and, and are not ever trafficked, right? We just had a summit two, three weeks ago uh, for work, and it was fundraiser for our organization. And um, there was a speaker, there were four speakers, three of them were women and one of them was a male. He'd been trafficked since he was eight by a family friend. And he, did, and he told his parents, but his parents didn't even believe him. His parents, his dad has died, um, his mom's still living, but to this day, his parents don't believe him. I mean, and that's why men keep quiet. You know, and that's, look at the Johnny Depp trial. I mean, Amber Heard was 100% an abuser, in my opinion, you know? Um, and that phone call, that recording, where she's like, they're going to believe you, you're a man. They're not going to believe that you are, you're abused, you're a victim of domestic violence. Well, <laughs> he was, you know? Um, and, and I think that's really sad that men don't feel comfortable talking about it. And they can't feel, because we've created, like I said, this stigma that... It can't happen to men, and it absolutely can. So we've we've, we've got to create those spaces and those opportunities for men to speak up and be heard. 
and be believed. And we've got to get better at that. I don't know necessarily what the solution is for that, um, but somehow we've got to create ways for men to be able to speak up and to have a voice. Because in terms of the statistics, um, there really aren't statistics in terms of men being tra sexually trafficked. Um, but I, I would wager to guess that they're as high as as women getting trafficked. They just don't talk about it because they don't feel like they can. And I wrote a sexual assault book and I wrote in such detail what the male victim went through mm. um, by his roommate violating him. And a friend still asked why he cried so often. Wow. That's, yeah, that's awful. And yeah, we don't allow men to have emotions and feelings. Like, what do you mean, why am I crying all the time? I was, <laughs> I was assaulted. Like, that's trauma, you know? Um, and it, and that is sad that men are not allowed to, or don't feel like they can express that. And that's the thing too about, and it can, it's, it's grief, you know. Um, my mom passed away in 2016 um, on September 11th. And, you know, grief is not linear. Uh, grief is up and down. You know, things even now that this year, this past, this past September last month, because her birthday is also in September, so it's a fun month. Lots of emotions, lots of emotions. And so this year was just harder. Um, for some reason, and I'm not sure where that comes from, but some, some moments are harder than others. And, and some things will set you off that you didn't expect to set you off. And some things you expect to be really triggered by, and you end up being okay in that moment. You just, grief is, it's an ebb and flow. And it's not, like I said, it's not linear. It's, you know, it's like the, the tangle, you know, just tangles. And it's, it's complex and there needs to be more understanding and more um, conversation about that and more grace, I think, for people that they're grieving, you know, and that's okay. Now, there are ways to grieve that are unhealthy. And, and I think it's not so much getting over it, but living with what's happened and moving forward, being able to move forward is the thing if you're if you're stuck and you're not able to move forward in life that's when you have a problem but if you're just feeling emotions um at a particular time that's let's let people do that the stigma around male survivors is especially true for older generations oh yeah oh yeah because back then way back in you know, my parents, you know, when my parents were growing up and we didn't talk about stuff, you just, you didn't talk about it. It was, you know, like counseling, what's that? You know, mental health, what's that? You know, trafficking, sex trafficking wasn't even a title, a thing until 2000. There was no label for that until 2000. Do you think forgiveness is a part of the healing process? I do. I think so. Uh, because, and, and I have to understand, 
forgiving somebody is not excusing their behavior. It's not saying it's okay what they did because it's not, it's never going to be. Forgiveness is not necessarily for that person. It's for you to be able to let go of that anger and, and resentment and, and those negative feelings, you know, towards that person and just, and let it go in a healthy way. Doesn't excuse it, doesn't make it okay. Do they seem to be prosecuted and punished? All of that, yes. But forgiveness in terms of, I'm not letting it affect my life. I'm not letting that person control my emotions and, and how I live my life anymore. Um, it's, it's for you, it's not for that person. I had to learn that myself. At a young age, I had to learn it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's people that have, I mean, I've been hurt. I mean, I'm, I'm 38. I've lived, right? And so people that have hurt me and, you know, there was a relationship that I had a really hard time kind of letting that go for a while, for like a really long time. But you just get to a point where it's like, oh, this is, it's, it's exhausting. <laughs> I don't have time for it. You know, I'm too busy doing stuff to worry about you. So, you know, be well, be fed. God bless. Do you. But do you over there. <laughs> and I'm going to do my thing. This conversation went better than anticipated. Oh, good. Is, is there anything else you want to discuss? Uh, no, not unless you have anything. Thank you so much for coming on and having this conversation with me. I hope you have enjoyed this as much as I did. I appreciate the insights that you provided as well. And if people wanted to connect with you and support the work you do, where can they do so? Um, so I'm on TikTok, uh, Sassy Hot Wheels. That's me. Um, and that's also my Instagram. Uh, so my Instagram is linked in uh, my TikTok. Um, I do have Facebook. That's more of a personal thing. I don't really give that up um, just to people. Um, but yeah, find me on TikTok, find me on Instagram. And yeah. Uh, I will make sure to share everything in my description below. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. It's been a good conversation. So thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you. And once again, I'm Sean Gold. Thank you for watching. Make sure you like, comment, and like, comment all your thoughts, and subscribe. I'll see you all next time on another episode of Crippled by Culture.